Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Ben Dixon, and this is The Daily Word. Thank you for joining us today. The Daily Word is a place where we go through books of the Bible one chapter at a time. We are here Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every week at 8 a.m. live, and you can also watch the archives, either video you can watch or audio you can listen to. Just go to nwcfoursquare.org. Thank you for joining us this morning. Today we are in the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 16. It's been an exciting journey as we followed Paul and Barnabas the last few days on their first missionary journey, and now we're on their second missionary journey. Grab a Bible, open into Acts chapter 16, and let's go ahead and pray as we begin. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, show us what you want us to see, and help us to follow you in the way that would honor and glorify you. We love you, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to go ahead and pull up here. I read from the New American Standard Version. There are a lot of good versions of the Bible out there. This is just the one that I read from, I study from as well. One of my favorite translations is the Amplified Bible. If you haven't read that, you might want to pick one of those up, or if you use online software, most online software has a copy of that, but I've always enjoyed it. But this is the, this is the version that I use day in and day out to study with. And so where, wherever you, whatever version you're reading, you can follow along. I'm just going to read actually the first 13 verses the way I see it, there's probably about three or four different stories or accounts that we could study, and we're just going to do the first one simply because we won't have enough time to get all the way through them. So probably about 30 minutes today, but here's what it says in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian region uh, and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, or we usually say Asia Minor. After they came to Mycenae, they were, um, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we, now here's Luke inserting himself into the story. This is the first time that Luke does that. It's very important to know prior to that, it's he's writing it not as somebody in the story, but somebody 
that uh, is talking about the story. So uh, we'll talk about that here in a moment. He says, We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, Samothrace, I'm not sure how to say that, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were standing in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, which is their typical protocol. They would go to the synagogue first, then they would go to the Gentiles, but they find no actual synagogue in Philippi. We'll come back to that here in a moment. Now, something to note is that at the end of chapter 15, Pastor Jared covered this. I don't know if he covered all of this, but at the end of chapter 15, this that begins the second missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And it's kind of funny the way that it starts. The way I envision it in my mind is Paul looks over at Barnabas and says, hey, I think we should go check on those churches that we started. And so they go. It isn't like this strategic thing. We kind of think of like a missionary journey. And sometimes all that happened in the book of Acts or the Bible is sort of this strategy session that was executed to a T. But the reality is, is they were just being led by the Spirit. The first missionary journey, they were sent out through a word of the Lord and in the context of fasting and prayer. The second missionary journey was a sense of responsibility, and Paul says, let's go ahead and check on those churches. And so what we read about here in verse 1, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. These were the same cities that they would come to in their first missionary journey. In fact, Paul was, uh, they start, they planted a church in one of these cities, and then Paul was stoned in one of them as well. And it says here, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So his mom's Jewish, his dad's a Gentile, so he's, he's mixed. Everyone would have known that. But Paul or Timothy must have been a young man. Okay, just think about this for a second. He had to have been in his early or mid-teens. And the reason that I think that is because in First and Second Timothy, when Paul writes a letter, it's 15 years later, and he still calls him a young man. Paul still says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you for your youth. Now, he's t- this is 15 years later from the, this moment, so Timothy must have been really, really young at this point. We don't exactly know how young he was, but he had to have been very, very young. And he's already gained the respect and a good reputation, it says, among the brethren here in verse 2 in Lystra and Iconium. So they all knew who he was. He must have been one that served. He must have been one that was giving his heart, and he was giving his time for the sake of the gospel. And so it says here in verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So in order for Paul to have Timothy come and minister alongside them, he circumcised him. This was a mark that was for the Jewish people, not for the Gentiles at this time. And so I don't know, I mean, honestly, I don't know the uh, that anybody would have checked, but what we do understand is because his father was a Greek and people would have known that, they would have just basically assumed that this hadn't happened and it would have been offensive because of Jewish law. And so 
Paul just says, hey, this isn't about salvation, but this is about acceptance so that we can minister the gospel to the Jewish people. And specifically, if they wanted access to all the synagogues, this would be something that they would say upon entering the synagogue, hey, it's fine, he is ceremonially cleansed and purified, and he is circumcised. So these things would have been helpful. They would have been important for them to have access to the synagogues, for them to minister the gospel to Jewish people, as to not offend them. This is a lot different from the scenario with Titus, which I think we find in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul was unwilling to circumcise Titus simply because he... um, they want the Judaizers wanted him to be circumcised because of salvation. So Paul in that instance said no. So there's a difference here. It wasn't about circumcision. It was about the reason in which he was being circumcised. He had no problem circumci- circumcising Timothy for acceptance to minister the gospel and have access to synagogues. But for the pressure that was coming in Galatians for Titus, he was saying, I'm not going to circumcise him because then I would be capitulating and agreeing with you that a person must be circumcised in order to be saved. So it's interesting, the same issue, but when the reason or the motivation for that action differed, Paul in one instance did it and the other instance resisted. So it's very important to know in this particular instance, he felt like it was a missional thing that you would do. And so they did this. Verse four, now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem uh, for them to observe. Now, if we look back at the scenario with the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, in fact, I might just go ahead and go back there for a moment and read it. There were some decrees that the Jerusalem Council gave to the Apostle Paul so that he could deliver them, particularly to those who were Gentiles that had con- uh, converted to Christ. And so these were the things specifically that they were told. In verse 29, chapter 15, Uh, or sorry, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Why? Why Why were these the specific things? Well, Gentiles were coming out of paganism, and these were four specific things that would have been in violation to the law. And that's based right out of paganism. And so for them to say, you must deny these things, had to do with their participation in false god worship. And so it wasn't just about um, eating meat. It wasn't just about blood. It it wasn't just about those things which were strangled. Um, It was specifically about what that meat was devoted to, how it was, uh, how they were handling it, who was selling it, where it came from, and what it what it meant or represented. And so this was a full blown participation in idolatry in pagan worship. And so Paul was saying, hey, or Paul was delivering the decree where the Jerusalem Council said, just abstain from these things because of what it represents, because of what it's connected to. It's a, in a sense, it's a call to holiness. For them, doesn't mean anything to me per se, but it means something to them because of how they were engaging with it and what it meant for their in their time. 
Now, fornication, the word behind that, pornea, it's a catch-all term for sexual immorality. This would refer to anything outside of the marriage bedroom within marriage covenant. And so it's an umbrella term. It would specifically uh, refer to having sex with a prostitute. If they were going to go give themselves to false god worship, they would join themselves with a prostitute. It was part of how you offered your body to these deities. That's why they had thousands of prostitutes throughout the Roman regions who were in these temples where they would commit these immoral acts with people and call that, in, in a sense, worship. It was like the mixture of the flesh of man and also the worship of these deities to destroy human lives, really. And that's what it was. And so they said, resist and abstain from these things. And so here's Paul and Barnabas, and they're traveling around these cities on their second missionary journey, (laughs) and they're delivering the decrees that had been given to them by the Jerusalem council. And look what it says. It says, as they were doing that, they were delivering the decrees. So the churches, verse 5, were being strengthened in the faith and they were increasing in number. Now that's what should mark an itinerant ministry. An itinerant ministry should be marked by the strengthening of the church and the church increasing. Today, we it's kind of popular to have like guest speakers or to have people come from one church to another or travel around churches. This used to be an apostolic ministry and a prophetic ministry and sometimes an evangelistic ministry. People will say, well, um, it, it, it isn't necessary to have guest speakers or maybe it, uh, it's, it's not always something that uh, every church does, but I think that the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic ministry is necessary, and it's necessary to not just have a guest speaker, but to have a partner in the fivefold ministry to come and minister to churches, and the evidence that this ministry really is part of what the Lord wants for these congregations to have sort of this mixing together of various congregations and regions, and this is what Paul and Barnabas, their ministry was, the, the evidence of that should be that the church is strengthened and that the church is growing. I spent a significant time of my ministry traveling around to churches, and I could recognize how I could use that to maybe build up my own name or my own platform, or I could use that to build up the church. And there is a big difference. And I think today, if you're an itinerant minister or that's something that you desire to do or God's opening the door to do, it would be, you would do well to read this and really understand what is the purpose of an itinerant minister? What is the purpose of an itinerant ministry? You know, many churches have teachers, and that's important, and there are teaching ministries that travel around, but what's the purpose? What's the impartation? How do we strengthen the church and leveraging those people that go from place to place? I personally don't have guests come to our church unless I believe there's an impartation, and the person that will stand on our stage and teach us and minister to us is embedded into a local church. I have certain standards because I think it's a violation for someone to minister to the church if they're not a part of the local church. Maybe they're just doing their itinerant thing. That's not acceptable to me. But an evidence of a healthy and fruitful itinerant ministry, uh, prophetic, apostolic, evangelistic, is that the church is strengthened. And so we see that here in verse 5. It says in verse 6, they passed through the Phrygian uh, and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This, to me, in Acts 16, is a place that I've always looked to as sort of a a marker for what it means to hear the voice of God. 
Somehow they could recognize the Holy Spirit saying, "Do not, you're not permitted to speak a word in Asia. Now we would say Asia Minor. And what's amazing when you think about it, we're studying the seven churches of Revelation on the weekend. We've been studying that. We've, been, we've looked at five. We're gonna look at two more in January. But what's amazing to me is that in Asia Minor, the majority of the cities that they were not permitted to speak in would have been the cities that we're studying on the weekend. We're talking about Ephesus. We're talking about Pergamum. We're talking about Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea and also other cities like Colossae and some others that would have been along this postal route, so to speak. But the Spirit of God said, do not speak a word in Asia Minor. And so they kind of had to travel around. But there's a couple things we've got to pause and notice here. One is, is that they could recognize the voice of God. They knew the Holy Spirit was saying this to them. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit violently stopped them or, or somehow came to them where they couldn't proceed. No, they know and they recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's really important. We too want to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to make a comment about hearing the voice of God here in just a moment because we're going to see this isn't the first time this happens. There's two, this happens two times within a short window for them. And so here it says, they passed through this region, the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak a word in Asia. After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. They were trying to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to do it. Number one, they could hear the voice of God. They could recognize his voice. Number two, they could recognize the voice of God in um, where he would say, don't do something. I feel like a lot of times people recognize the voice of God when he's telling them to do something because we're kind of asking with the hope that God would tell us yes and give us the green light. I think it's really important that we pause and reflect on this is that if we're going to truly abandon ourselves to the voice of the Lord and say, what do you want? God may say no and God may say yes, but God knows for sure what we ought to do. And this is a moment where you see the word of God and the spirit of God moving together within the people of God to accomplish the mission. I would argue that we really need to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Knowing the word in accomplishing the mission is merely not enough. Knowing the word calls us into what we know to do, but knowing the voice of the Spirit shows us where to do it, how to apply it. And you see that right here. Paul and Barnabas did not need to know what to do. They're on their second missionary journey. They know we're supposed to go strengthen. We're supposed to have fellowship. We're supposed to preach the gospel. And this is what they're trying to do. They want to go share the gospel in Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit says no. They want to go share the gospel in Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says no. The thing they didn't need from the Holy Spirit is what to do. They already knew what to do. They know they're called to preach the gospel. They're called to make disciples. They do not need a second word from the Holy Spirit. However, isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit guides them where they're supposed to do it? And that is a massive key for us to remember. We have the word of God, which tells us what to do. Mark chapter 16 says, preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. 
We already have the marching orders from Jesus. We know what we're about. We know what we're supposed to do. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We know what to do. We know that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. However, it does not mean that we always know when or we know where. So we have the Word that tells us what to do, and we have the Holy Spirit that tells us how to apply that which we know, when to apply it, where to apply it. Let me encourage you. You and I need the Word of God, and we need the Spirit of God to speak to us. This is what I advocate. This is what I argue for. And Acts chapter 16 is one of those hallmark chapters, and these verses here show us just how the apostles functioned. And it's important that we too function as they did because we're not an exception. Just because we have the word canonized, we have the Bible in this form, and we, know, we have the knowledge, the knowledge is not enough. The knowledge is important. The, the knowledge is what we need, but it's not all that we need. I would argue that we also need the voice of the Holy Spirit as we minister, as we minister. And that's vital for the church to recapture. It's why I'm Pentecostal. It's why I advocate the voice of the Spirit. It's why I've taught it. It's why I have books written about it, because we need to understand. Now, they could have just gone into Bithynia, but it may not have worked out very well for them, and so we want to hear the Holy Spirit. And so after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, as they were in Troas, they couldn't really go anywhere else. That's sort of how it works in that region. If I were to show you a map, you would see they actually were forced to go to Troas. And it says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. This is Northern Greece, Macedonia, and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, they weren't intending to go to Macedonia. So he has this vision. There are six visions that Paul has in the book of Acts. This is the second one. And so it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Park right there. Luke has been reflecting on an account that he was not a part of up until this moment. Now, some believe that Luke, the doctor, the historian, the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, joined them in Troas. That's what some scholars would say. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it seems that that's feasible. And so let's just go with that. Let's just say that Luke joins them in Troas. And from this moment on, Luke is now with them in their missionary journeys. So he says, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. They knew to preach the gospel, but now they're concluding because of this vision and the direction of the Holy Spirit, that this is where they were supposed to do what they already knew to do. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Now, the protocol for them would be, let's go find the synagogue. In Philippi, if you do the history there, there wasn't a synagogue that was there primarily because it was uh, the vast majority was a Gentile city. And so a lot of the people that lived there used to be military that were part of, uh, they were Roman citizens. In fact, they were prided. In Philippi, they were prided on being Roman citizens. When we read the book of Philippians, we find that Paul speaks to them multiple times about being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And I think 
he's trying to say something directly to them because they were so proud to be Roman citizens. And Paul himself was a Roman citizen. He had his citizenship as well. And so he was speaking to them, specifically, obviously, the church, saying, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so there weren't as many Jews there. They didn't have a synagogue there. And so they specifically were... um, when they came to Philippi, they were there for several days. On the Sabbath day, they typically would have gone to the synagogue, but they didn't have one to go to. And so they went down to the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, he's going to talk about Lydia, and who's from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics who worship God. And so he leads her to the Lord. He leads her whole household to the Lord. And they start the church of Philippi in Lydia's home after she gives her life to Jesus. And it's an amazing story from there, which we can read about a little bit later. But what are the lessons that we can learn from this section in Acts chapter 16? Number one, we can learn that God gives us a responsibility within the ministry that he's called us to be a part of. So for example, as they went on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 15 at the end, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go, let's take some responsibility and go minister to the churches that we've started. We want to see how they're doing and we want to strengthen them. And so we need to know God gives us a sense of responsibility, just like fathers and mothers have for their children. God also calls us to start ministry and then he wants us to follow through. He wants us to follow up. He wants us to touch base. He wants us to bring strength to those that have begun in the faith. The second thing we also notice from here is that we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God to know what to do, and we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to know how to do it, where to do it, and when to do it. Now, we won't always get specific directions as we would like. I would love to know all of those details exactly as I need to know them, but the fact is is we may not get them when we want them or how we want them but we can know the Holy Spirit will speak to us as we're on mission. And can I just tell you that we're not just trying to hear the voice of God just to hear God to, you know, build faith. That may happen. That'd be great. I'm not suggesting that it won't, but I'm simply saying that they're on mission. Think about the context. They're going here. They're going there. The Holy Spirit's saying, don't go here. The Holy Spirit says, don't go there. And then they have, Paul has a vision in the middle of the night. A man from Macedonia says, come over here and help us. And they concluded, this is his second big vision that he has in the book of Acts, they concluded, we must go preach the gospel here. See, there's this posture. They're expecting the Holy Spirit to guide them. They're leaning into the Holy Spirit. This was an expectation. As we go to minister the gospel, God is leading us, God is guiding us. We need to have that same expectation. I want to encourage you. God is speaking to your life. God is speaking to your heart. God wants you to, you and I to be on mission with him. And as we are, he will lead us and he will speak to us. And the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit will be confirmed. It's not just some random thing that as individuals we will hear and nobody else will confirm it. It's really important that we know that as we're on mission, the Holy Spirit will speak to us, he will guide us, and he will confirm his word to us. This is what happened to them many, many times. And the other thing is that when we're on mission, God will do things. God will do things far beyond what we could ask, think, hope, or imagine. Here they go on the Sabbath down to the river, and they're thinking there's a place of prayer there. They meet a woman named Lydia. And she ends up coming to Christ, her household comes to Christ, and a church is born, and we read about the church at Philippi even later on in Paul's letters. This is a very powerful thing. We might just be at 
one place and this is that place that God wants to start a movement. God wants to start a church. God wants to start a ministry. We never know who we're talking to. We never know who we're standing in front of. But if we are ready to give the gospel, we are ready to serve people. We are ready to love people. We are giving our lives for the sake of the gospel. God will do anything with a life that is willing to to do anything. God will do anything with a life that is willing to do anything. And that's all we need to do. You do not have to be me. I do not have to be you. You do not have to be like anyone else. You have to be the spirit-filled, sanctified version of yourself, presenting who you are to Jesus every day. That's who we need to be. Give yourself to Jesus. We are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. It's not about anything other than just giving our hearts to him. And then he gets to determine how our life is used not us. He gets to determine how our life is used. And we just surrender ourselves to his plan and watch what he'll do. Lord, lead us. Lord, guide us. Help us to bring glory to the name of Jesus. That's what we want to do with our lives. And we know that God will use our lives for his glory. Let me encourage you today, no matter what that looks like, God will use our life for his glory. And that's all that we want anyways, isn't it? Well, hey, That's all I have for today. God bless you as we study Acts chapter 16. Hey, don't stop where I stopped. Keep going through the book of Acts. Keep going through Acts 16. There's a few other stories that I think are totally worthy of your time. Since it's the word of God, it's absolutely worthy of our time. But even today, if you're saying, hey, Ben, I've got another half an hour to study and you didn't give me much, you're right. That's why you and I can keep going through the book of Acts chapter 16. So let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us to hear his voice as we seek to serve him. Would you do that with me today? Just join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. And just like Paul and Barnabas, as they heard your voice, we want to hear your voice. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear. I know that you're already speaking to us, but sometimes we're not hearing, sometimes we're not discerning, and there are times where we don't act on what you say. And so I just pray today that you would help us to hear and you would help us to respond. That's what we want, and we want to glorify you. And so we look forward to all that you're going to do as we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.